Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Good News. Uh, I am Deacon Al. Here talking to you from our great station of Catholic Spirit Radio, and it's always a pleasure to come talk to you again. We've got so much going on. Coming up, we've got Epiphany Sunday. I love Epiphany. Great stories in Epiphany. We're going to go through the readings because one of the things I love about, uh, especially the gospel reading, is you can always tell who has learned their their Catholic faith from watching uh, television shows or things on the internet or art, Renaissance art. They, 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 they learn their, their faith from everything but scripture. Because once you hear the scripture of the gospel and you think about what you think you know about Epiphany, you'll go, oh, oh, what? I thought that was, no, no, that's not what it tells. It's a completely different story than you think. The three wise men, the, the scene at, at, the, at the manger, uh, all kinds of stuff like that, the, the um, how old was Jesus when, when, when the Magi came? You know, all that goes out the window when you actually listen to the scripture. Now, that's not what the message of the scripture is. But if you read, if you read between the lines, you realize that a lot of things you thought were true about this, this celebration, it isn't true. It's like um, the apple in the Garden of Eden. When someone talks about, well, why did God get so upset when Adam and Eve ate the apple? And you think, well... You really don't know much about your faith because nowhere in Genesis does it mention that they ate an apple. Well, what about this thing where Paul got thrown off the horse? There's no horse mentioned (laughs) in Scripture. In Acts, it says he fell to the ground. It says nothing about a horse. But yet we have this beautiful, famous portrait of Paul being thrown from this big white stallion. You know, there's so much of that in our faith where people think they know what the church believes or what the church teaches when actually what they think is their faith, they learned from, it's not even tradition, it's more of hearsay and folklore that is built up around the faith. You know, it's kind of like Santa Claus. Why do you worship Santa Claus? Well, we don't. And Santa Claus isn't really a part of Christmas in in the Catholic faith. It's a nice secular tradition, and it has its roots in Catholicism. Oh, it must be time for church. Sorry if you hear those bells. That's actually uh, that's actually my telephone. Sorry about that. That was extremely unprofessional of me, John. I insist you cut my pay in half. Give me that big fine for that. Um, so yeah, so there's a there's a lot of things that people believe uh, that they learned through this folklore, like like we were saying, like Santa Claus, which isn't really part of our faith. And a big a big chunk of that uh, is around Epiphany. But I sidetrack, John. How was your Christmas? Wonderful. Wonderful. Good. Good. Mine was really, really quiet. Yeah. But that, that, that part, part of what makes it wonderful, sometimes not to have the chaos, is, uh, is really great. And we're into a new year, and I, great time to uh, reflect back on, on your past year and where you, where you did good and, and where you went wrong. Uh, this is a super time. Yeah, I, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but I think it is a great time for reflection. You've got a, a whole new year ahead of you now to say, you know, here are places where I can improve myself, where I can move closer to God rather than further away, where I can find more opportunities to find Christ in my life, or where I can insert Christ in my life when I didn't last year. 
a good place to start on that is mass attendance. We had, I was, this was so thrilling, uh, Christmas Eve, four o'clock mass at Holy Trinity, over 800 people. Wow. Over 800 people in attendance. That's such a huge increase from what we've seen. And I, I'm happy to say that since then, the masses have had pretty strong attendance all through the holiday season. I, I hope that continues. But uh, to see over 800 people in Holy Trinity again was, was such a joy. Um, honestly, haven't seen numbers like that since when? When would you guess? Pre-COVID. Not only pre-COVID, go back further than that. The last time we saw a crowd like that in church was probably 9-11. After 9-11. And isn't that funny? When, when people feel at their lowest, when they're the most frightened, when they feel the most um, uneasy about what the, how life is going on around them, they come back to church. And it's, it's too bad that it takes that. Uh, but it is very telling about our human nature. So come back to church. I mean— there's a great New Year's resolution. Come back to Christ, uh, and you can be closest to him uh, at, at your local church, whether it's for Mass or for adoration or for confession or just for some quiet time uh, to be alone with Christ in his house. Uh, come back to church. We, we look around us, and COVID did a lot of damage. Uh, the COVID restrictions did a lot of damage. And, you know, I, I feel like— uh, the church is partially responsible for that in that, boy, we were really, like a lot of businesses, we were really between a rock and a hard place. What, what's, what's best to protect people from themselves by limiting uh, contact or do you leave the doors open and depend on, and trust in the shelter of the church? And I, I know that our diocese tried to do the right thing and that it took a, it was a lot of discussion and a lot of contemplation and a lot of reflection and a lot of prayer went into the decision. And I'm still not comfortable with the decision they made. I, I, with everything else shutting down, I really felt like the church needed to be open. That's the feedback I get from a lot of parishioners, that they were really heartbroken when the doors got closed. And we know that since they've been opened back up and the restrictions have been reduced, we're still looking at we've lost at least a third of our regular attendees. And some of them are going to come back as they get more comfortable with uh, being in, in large groups. But are we going to get them all back? I don't think so. And I think the reason is that some of the people we lost were looking to leave not leave the church, but really didn't want to be there on Sundays anyway. They wanted to be, they wanted to sleep in or they wanted to uh, be on the golf course or they wanted to be watching a football game and, okay, it's Sunday, I got to go to church, which is just such an unfortunate attitude. But those people found COVID to be uh, a great opportunity for them to make excuses, to rationalize not being there. And now that they're out of the habit and they, they thought, well, you know, I was gone for a year and a half and God didn't strike me down with lightning. It must be okay not to go. I really, I really believe there's a lot of that out there. And uh, boy, what, what a shame. What a shame. Uh, here, we are, here we have the, the highest level of worship in our faith. 
the greatest sacrament in our in our faith in in the Eucharist, and to give that up for it's just not convenient, you know. And I know that some of these people, it's, at some point in their lives, are going to realize the, the mistake they made. I just hope they realize it soon enough, uh, because this is uh, an extremely damaging state of mind to have. To think that mass isn't important enough. There are there are people, there are parts of the world, and if you've got uh, if you've got priests that are serving your parish from other countries. Talk to them about the attitude of church attendance. There are there are continents in this world where people walk for an entire day to be able to attend mass. You know, we'll have a, a priest will give a fifteen minute homily, and the congregation will go crazy. Oh, he gives such long homilies. Oh my, oh my, how, how am I supposed to stay awake through this? And I know I've talked to several priests. Who, who say, you know, if we don't give a minimum of 45 minutes in a homily, our parishioners will call the bishop and complain about us. A minimum of 45 minutes. Uh, because they've, they've spent all day. They, you know, they pack up meals and they, they form caravans even in order to get to a mass. It's that important to them that they will make that sacrifice. And we have people who, oh, I, don't, I really don't want to wake up that early. And or get get in the car and drive across town. Do you realize it takes almost ten minutes to drive to mass? Difficult. Difficult. Oh, oh, the sacrifice of a ten minute drive or a fifteen minute drive to get to mass. When there are people who would, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, they would crawl through glass to get to get to a Catholic mass. Uh, they're that devoted to the Eucharist, and we all should be. I mean, people have given their lives for the Eucharist. Uh, we should be in awe of that, and we should be humbled by that. And it's it, it, that's why I guess it was so gratifying to see so many people uh, come back to, to mass this Christmas. Um, I hope that I hope it continues to grow uh, and and get back to the numbers it used to be. We were just talking today. There was a time where in in Bloomington, and, and again, I'm just going to look at, at Holy Trinity. There was a time they did six masses on a Sunday, starting at five thirty in the morning, sunrise mass. And between 5.30 in the morning and 4 o'clock in the evening, they had six masses on a Sunday, which, and, and one over at, at St. Clair's at, at the grade school. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, they were doing uh, probably a total Saturday and Sunday combined 11 masses. Now, they had four priests yep. at the time, which makes a huge, huge difference when you have those kind of resources. I, rem- I remember, I, w- I don't recall the, the 5.30 mass, but when I, when I uh, was down here for college, I do remember the 7 o'clock mass. So uh, it's just, we used to fill the place six times on a Sunday. And it's been a long time since we've seen those kind of numbers. Now, families are smaller. That, that plays a huge role in it. Um, but it just... Just the feeling of Mass. The people who come know why they're there right now. The people who are at Mass now want to be there, and they understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. But we've lost a lot of people who have um, lost interest, mm-hmm. just lost interest in, in the sacraments. And that's so sad. That's so sad. And, oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you really want to get – if it's been a while since you've been to, to Mass, I had, a, I had a gentleman come up to me uh, uh, Christmas 
I'm sorry, it was Christmas Eve, the evening mass on Christmas Eve. And afterwards, there was a, uh, one fellow who's hanging around in the vestibule. And I, I had the, uh, the enjoyable assignment of locking the church up, you know, being the last one out, turn off the lights, lock the doors. And fellow hanging around in, in the vestibule. And I asked him if I could help him. And he wanted to know when uh, the times were for confession, for the sacrament of penance. So I, I explained to them when, when uh, the priests were available for penance. And he said to me, you know, um, this is the first Mass I've been to in over 20 years. He says, I left the church to go in search of, of God. And after 20 years and trying different churches and uh, looking into different faiths and even practicing different faiths, he says, I, I came to realize that I, I left him behind. He wasn't where I was looking. He was where I already was. And he says, I want, I want back in the church. What do I have to do? And I said, well, confession is where you start. I said, do you already, are you already, have you already received the sacraments of initiation, baptism, uh, confirmation, communion? And he had. And I said, well, you're, you are in, in heart and soul a Catholic, and all you need is confession. And just tell the priest what happened. You know, we, Jesus is great about receiving lost lambs. You know, that's, that's pretty much what he does. And so he, he thought, you know, there's no fee, there's no, you know, I don't, I don't have to, you know, talk to the bishop or anything. I said, no, just go to confession, talk to the priest, and, uh, and welcome home. And he started to cry. He missed the Eucharist. You know, that's what it was. Uh, he certainly, it wasn't, it wasn't the music or the architecture, which, which are beautiful. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't the homilies. <laughs> but, but he missed the Eucharist. And really, that's what Mass is all about, is the ability to, uh, to gain that intimacy with, with Christ. And, and I think that's what, that's what makes these, these major feasts in, in the Church so important, Christmas and, and Easter, is they're, they're kind of like this a beacon, this magnet, this star of Bethlehem that draws people back to Christ. I'm sure he's not the only one, and we weren't the only Catholic church in the world where that happened. I think that probably played out all over the world, mm-hmm. where the, the light of Christ at, at Christmas is so strong that it drew this man back home again. And so just know that invitation is out there for you, whether it's been a year and a half since you've attended Mass, or 20 years, or 40 years since you've attended Mass, uh, the door is always open. And just like with the prodigal son, the father is always waiting uh, to welcome the, the, the wandering son back home. And if, if it's just you're not sure, if, then come to Mass and be sure. Learn about your faith and, and understand the beauty and the magnificence of the Eucharist. Okay, we're going to get uh, uh, to the readings. We're reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet writes, Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you the Lord shines, and over you appears his glory. Nations shall walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. Then you shall be radiant in what you see. Your heart shall throb and overflow, for the riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you, and wealth of nations shall be brought to you. Caravans of camels shall fill you, dromedaries from Midian and Ephah, all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord, the word of the Lord. 
So you probably recognize in there already a lot of the descriptions of the nativity, about the Lord coming, about the light uh, shining forth. When you think about the star of Bethlehem, about the light radiating uh, from from the infant Jesus, the uh, the caravans of camels coming to to uh, bring him homage, the uh, the gold and the frankincense. So this will all tie back in from the days of Isaiah, which is hundreds of years before the time of Christ, to the nativity. In our second reading, which is from. Uh, Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes, Brothers and sisters, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit, namely that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and co-partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, the word of the Lord. So, the the way the the scriptures symbolize the coming of the 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 pardon me the sharing of the gospel of Christ the the living word of God with the Gentiles is through the coming of the Magi. So they're coming from quite a distance. We're we're guessing uh, geographically Iran Iraq that part of the Middle East is where the Magi came from and traveled to Jerusalem, uh, drawn there by the, the luminance of, of this special star that appeared. And so that was, that was showing that not just uh, the, the Messiah didn't just come for the Jewish people, but came for the whole world and that people from, from all over uh, that region, which was the known world to them, were all coming to Christ. So in our, in our gospel reading, which is from Matthew. This really tells the story of the Magi, but it tells us a little bit more than that. And again, if you listen really close, you realize that some of the things we believed about uh, the nativity scene uh, aren't quite accurate. But you have to remember what the nativity scene was. It, it wasn't depicting a specific moment in time, but it was it was taking a period of time that was important uh, surrounding the birth of Christ and condensing it all into a single artistic scene. And so a lot, there's a lot of time compression in there. And I, I think you'll see that in, in this reading from Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When they have found him, when you have found him, bring me word that I may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out, and behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord.
So real quick, let's think about what we have often thought about with, with, the, with the Magi. First of all, they came to the manger, right? And at the manger, we see Mary and Joseph and, and the infant Jesus. There were three, uh, by some traditions, they're even named as to who they were. They brought these gifts. And if you first, at first glance of this, you think that they're at the manger because it says they were sent to Bethlehem. And we know that's where, where Christ was born, was in Bethlehem. So let's roll down through the scripture. Does it say three magi? No, it doesn't. It says magi came, but it doesn't say three. So how did we get to three? Well, scripture talks about three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So if you're an artist and you're going to depict this scene, what's the easiest way to do that? You have one person carrying the gold, one person carrying the frankincense, and one carrying the myrrh, and we end up with three magi. But we don't know that it's just three. Nothing in Scripture says three. So did they come to the manger? That's not what Scripture says. It says they came to the house where the child lived. Now, he was born in a manger, but it doesn't say they stayed there. Nothing in Scripture says they lived in, in the stable. They came to the And Scripture doesn't say the Magi went to the stable. It said that they came to the house where he lived. So time has passed. From the time Christ was born to the time the Magi came, some time has passed. Well, how much time? Well, we discover that when we, when we read about the, uh, the slaughter of the innocents. Because Herod, Herod didn't say, go out and kill every newborn infant. He asked the Magi when they, saw the, when they first saw the star, because they came from quite a ways. And they told him the time the star was, was first seen. And he said, when he sent out his soldiers, it was to kill every child two years old and younger. So he doesn't really know how old Christ is at this time because they saw the rising of the star two years ago from the time they arrived at, at Herod's. So he's killing everyone two years and under. So they didn't live in the stable for two years. They've now gone and they lived in a home. Was Joseph there? Was it a scene where the Magi show up and you have Joseph and Mary kneeling at the manger with the baby Jesus? Well, we know they didn't show up to the manger, to the stable. And it says what they found was the child and his mother, Mary. Not the infant, the child and his mother, Mary. So Jesus is no longer an infant. He's a toddler. Where's Joseph? Uh, some people say, well, maybe Joseph died. No, not yet. Because we, the, only, the, the next time we hear about Joseph, the very next time we hear about Joseph, he's thir- uh, Jesus is 13 and he's at the temple in Jerusalem. So Joseph is still alive. Where is he? He's at work. He's a carpenter. He doesn't know the Magi are coming. They don't know, hey, honey, we're about to have company. Take the day off from work. He's got a home to pay for. He has a family to feed. Joseph's a carpenter. He's at, he's at work when the Magi show up. I mean, if you think about what, what the... Scriptures say that's the most logical explanation. Scripture doesn't say that's where he is. But if you put yourself in the place of the Scripture, if you, if you put yourself in that scene, it, it makes perfect sense. So uh, what's with Herod? Why is, why is Herod so upset? You know, a baby, really? A, a toddler even scares him? Well, Herod, uh, yeah, Herod liked his power. 
he liked his role. He was he was a pretty big king. Jerusalem was was no uh, no little hovel or, or bit of squalor. I mean, Jerusalem at the time over a million people is is what's uh, estimated uh, by uh, by historians that it was probably about a million and a half people. This is a big city at that time, and Herod was no slouch. He uh, he devised. Uh, or put in place the aqueduct system in Jerusalem, a lot of the uh, the great uh, buildings, the the palace, the temple. This was all done under Herod's rule. Uh, he was he was actually pretty good administrator, pretty smart guy, and uh, pretty wealthy. You 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 had a, a whole nation, and and you especially you you had a city of this size. It's a lot of taxes to be collected from a million and a half people. He's living a pretty good life. And when the threat of losing that, losing that power and that life, uh, even if the threat was from a, a two-year-old child, that was pretty upsetting to him. Uh, we see in our in our own world, we see people with a lot of power, who when they are, they feel they're threatened to lose it, they go pretty crazy. But here's what I think is a, a, an interesting contrast: Herod, who has all this power, who's fearful about being able to hold on to it, is willing to take lives. I mean, he's willing to order the slaughter of who knows how many young, young children just to hang on to that power. Christ, on the other hand, who's a child, who has no power, who's come only to uh, call people to love and forgiveness and is willing to give his own life to achieve that, as opposed to Herod, who is willing to kill others in order for him to stay alive and stay in his power. Isn't that amazing? I, and, and that's what the, all three of these readings play off of this light and darkness, the light of Christ and the darkness of Herod. You, know, when Herod. you can picture when Herod calls in the Magi, you know, this is a pretty secret meeting. This is a dark, this is a nighttime clandestine meeting that he's having with them. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, beard stroking, you know, chin rubbing, going, hmm, so the, what, tell me about this king and, and where is he and how do I get to him and how do I recognize him? When you find him, you come tell me about this because I want to go to and, and, and I'll, I'll, worship, I'll worship him too. I'm just really interested in this. It's a lot of, a lot of conniving going on as opposed to uh, the description of, of Christ and, and the events around Christ, how he's going to be uh, – there'll be this great light showing and that we will all be part of that light and we're all expected to share that light. So you have this real contrast between light that's in darkness, between good and evil, to wanting to take life rather than wanting to sacrifice life. So this is really, to me, this is, this is where scripture gets so beautiful in this interconnection. So take time this weekend when you go to Mass, listen to the readings and listen to the homily uh, from the priest because there's a lot to learn in here. And, and don't forget that one of the main teachings of Jesus is that you are the light of the world. We become the star of Bethlehem now. It's, it's our responsibility to attract others to Christ. That's where we are as disciples. So put yourself, if you're going to put yourself in the place, don't be one of the magi. Don't be one of the camels in the caravan or be Joseph or Mary. Put yourself in the place of the star of Bethlehem. How can I be a light to the world? How can I attract others to the love of Christ? May God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to everlasting life.
Good night. You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.